I knew that there was really there was something in the alchemy of the show that felt really special. Mm -hmm. I knew that the experience was really meaningful and that we all had a lot of fun. And I remember wrapping our last day of season one and just bursting into tears because it had been something that I had loved so dearly for so long. It had taken us a year to set up and then a year essentially to to, to, to write and then shoot. Um, the thought of not getting to see these people and, and doing it all again was so heartbreaking for me. Welcome to EW's Binge. I'm Shana Naomi Crockmall. And I'm Patrick Gomez. We are binging our way through an entire show we love <laughs> with one podcast episode focused on each season. In past seasons, EW editors have gone deep about Friday Night Lights, about all the films of Harry Potter. And today we are talking about Schitt's Creek, um, which originally <laughs> aired on the CBC and Pop TV and can now be streamed on Netflix. And we're starting off by celebrating at the beginning, season one, where it all started when the roses went from riches to rags, moving to the tiny town of Schitt's Creek. <laughs> Joining us to answer all of our burning questions is co-creator <laughs> and star. Can I say hi? Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, hi, say hi. Say hi. Um, hi. What company I'm keeping? Friday Night Lights and Harry Potter. I mean, is there anything else? You're the most to magical added of to the that three, list? though. Yeah. I'm thrilled. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you, yes. and we're thrilled to be able to not just say what all of our thoughts about this, which are many, but really we want to hear from you. All of the secrets, the behind the scenes, sure. the moments that meant the most to you. Mm -hmm. um, one quick note on spoilers. We're going to try, try to <laughs> give away key plot points only for the season that we're talking about right now. So we'll talk about Got all it. of season one. Um, so if you have not watched the entire show yet, you're safe to listen to this or watch this. Just come back mm -hmm. and um, make sure to catch up on the rest of the episodes also. And also, if you haven't already uh, just like watched it all, I don't go like watch go watch it right now. Like, like come back. <laughs> Go back, you'll be you'll, run to your television screen. Exactly. You'll be fine. Um, but before we get specifically to season one, uh, give us kind of the origin story a little bit. You know, where did this idea first come from? How did it, how did we get to you guys actually shooting this? Yeah, it's interesting because the longer that I've uh, I've had to think about where it all came from, the more, I guess, the deeper the psychology of it all has been sort of, has has come to the surface. Mm -hmm. I was working at MTV for about seven years, uh, sort of originating the after show format, uh, and we talked about uh, The Hills for a long time uh, on The Hills After Show. And now, in retrospect, I can see the connection. At the time, I, I didn't. But I think I was so immersed in uh, the experience of how wealthy people lived their lives. And this was also at the time of Real Housewives and Kardashians really like becoming a, a cultural phenomenon. Um, and the acute awareness that we all have, not just like in a lifestyles of the rich and famous kind of way where you'd get a peek inside someone's house. Now we actually are seeing like the Kardashians on the toilet, <laughs> like in their homes. Mm -hmm. We know how they live. So f what I found really fascinating was exploring that cultural awareness and saying, okay, now that we all know the day-to-day -day of these kinds of people, what would it look like if we played on that, took the money away, and examined what the family dynamic would be like with without the money, without anything to sort of fix the problems or bandage uh, any of the conflict with, with sort of material things. Um, so we have Heidi and Spencer's money troubles to thank for. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thanks, Heidi. Um, yeah, uh, but it's interesting how it sort of seeped into my subconscious, I guess, in terms of wanting to explore something more substantial 
um, after that experience. Substantial. It's a half-hour yeah. comedy. <laughs> but um, I think there are some real moments to the show that, that, to me, is what's exciting to write and what I think has added a level of dimension to the show that you don't often get in half-hour comedies, um, which is the, the real drama of a family in crisis. And yes, it's going to be funny at times, but it's also going to be real. And there's going to be moments where, where people understand slowly but surely that love is, is the most meaningful form of currency you can have. So well, that was... That's it. <laughs> In a nutshell. <laughs> that's no, that's one of the reasons we love the show. Yeah. We were talking about it uh, the other day. It, it, it can go from these like heightened comedy moments to these like real moments. Mm -hmm. And like I need you to teach all of us like how to play that on your face all at once because David is perfect at that. <laughs> of trying not to care but caring and uh -huh. just like ready to fall into tears and laugh and cry all at the same time. So yeah. congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been really fun to play that character. Someone who's so protective uh, of themselves and so guarded and um, and so sort of reluctant to to express how they really feel mm. um, so to unravel that slowly but surely over five seasons uh, we're halfway through our six shooting our sixth right now um, has been such a joy and such a challenge as an actor um, because you start off with with sort of one thing and you're building towards something completely mm -hmm. different so how do you go about mm -hmm. approaching the day-to-day -day? How, how do you decide when you want to let people in on the vulnerability of the character and, and when you don't um, can I ask you a really nerdy English like question about this show yeah. who is the protagonist of this show? That's a really interesting question. I think, I think it's probably the collective of this family mm -hmm. um, and their experience at the end of the day as, as a group. Mm -hmm. um, and then you break it all apart and I think each of the family members are sort of protagonists in their own worlds. Mm -hmm. Each of them have come from very different places. Each of them want very different things and each of them are trying to prove very different uh, things in their life. So um, I th think that's sort of been the goal yeah. is that with every A, B, and C story, there's a protagonist in each of those stories learning something about themselves mm -hmm. or about the town. Um, and hopefully having a laugh while they're doing it. Mm -hmm. We're gonna dive deep in the season in a second, but we wanna challenge you um, to uh, wrap up this first season okay. in, in 30 seconds or less. Uh, so g give us the premise, give us kind of what happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very wealthy video store magnate and his family lose their money in a back tax scandal. And in the process, the government goes through all their assets, r sort of repossessing, and decides that this one particular asset, this town that my dad's character bought for me when I was 16 is a joke because the town was called Schitt's Creek, doesn't have any value to them. So the only asset that my family is left with is this town, and they have to move there and start fresh. All right, it was a little over 30, but we'll give it to you. We'll give it to what you. What was that? That was 32 that was and a half seconds. That was 32 and a half seconds of the premise. Oh, like, now gosh. let's do the whole everything that happens in the first season. Right? <laughs> um, right? Each of these family members are incredibly guarded and protected and are used to a very uh, high standard of living. And slowly but surely, over the, f over the first season of our show, they realize that they will never get that again, or at least not for the next 
long period of time. So how do these people go about navigating the day to day in this small town when they don't have all of the luxuries that they're so used to? How do you go about living your life and what does that mean? Perfect. Well, we're going to oh, dive ahead. deep on those moments. Yeah. That was that was pretty <laughs> that was great. Perfect. I feel like I got that, that in 27 perfect. seconds. Which I think made so. Up for the <laughs> made up for the, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll just we'll we'll tweak it. We'll tweak it in post. We'll tweak it in post. Had it. Um, <laughs> um, no. So uh, again, this is going to be a little remedial if mm. you have watched it. Which if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, like Stop. great, thanks. But like, go watch it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, or do both at the same time. There you really go. sort of have a really <laughs> sensory experience. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I, I like it. You get confused. Like Dan, yeah, yeah, David, yeah. like who's, who's who? Talking. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So in the first episode, we meet the Roses, yes. including businessman Johnny, yeah. played by your dad, yes. Eugene, yeah. uh, and uh, soap star Moira, played by yeah. Catherine O'Hara, yeah. uh, and their son David, yes. played by you, um, and their daughter Alexis, played by Annie Murphy. You have a look that says, hi, I'm Jocelyn, and I know who I am. For that, you're very fortunate. You are. I don't know who I am from one moment to the next. So honestly, dear, I envy you, all right? But if you ever, ever catch me shopping at the Blouse Barn, you must shoot me in the temple. Promise? Promise. <laughs> My son is hunting right now with your husband, so I, I know you people have guns. Was it always the plan for your you and your dad? And obviously he's worked with Catherine for so long. Was that yeah. all probably part of the plan? Always. I mean, Catherine was always the, you know, the, we, we had always wanted Catherine. And um, I think at first she was sort of reluctant to get into TV. So it was a, it was a precarious sort of, will we, will we get her? <laughs> Can you convince um, her? Fortunately we did. Um, and yeah, I think my dad and Catherine have a very lovely relationship, professionally speaking. Uh, I mean, obviously they've been friends for 40 years, but they, hate each other. Um, <laughs> they I think, share a very similar sensibility and a very mm -hmm. similar desire to explore characters that are grounded in something very real. Um, and you can take these characters to like very far extremes as long as you continue to sort of root them in something uh, that's that's grounded and has a very strong foundation in reality. So uh, I think in the process of building the show, my dad had always sort of hoped that we would have Catherine on board uh, in that part, and we've got her in the end. I forbid you to abandon our family. I am a grown woman, mother. This is the act of a spoiled child. I think it's unforgivable. I think that you're just super jealous because I'm getting out of here. Also, you have a big thing of dandruff on your eyebrow. Annie was a wonderful find um, that we discovered in the audition process. And it's really been, from day one, a familial mm -hmm. experience. We have all clicked. There's such an intimacy and a comfort, I think, between the four of us um, that has made for a very... I think fun and and uh, and very easy experience as actors because it's it's there. We don't have to act too too hard. So in a lazy sort of way, it, I'm glad it it worked out the way it did because it's I think it's lent itself to the authenticity of this family and their and their interrelationships. Totally. So they lose all their money. Lose the money. They lose yeah. the money and they have to move to this town that the dad bought as a gag gift, which you mentioned yes. in your recap. Yeah. Uh, there we meet the the mayor of the town, mm -hmm. Roland Shit, played by Chris Elliott. Which 
which I have to tell you, it wasn't until maybe like two or three weeks ago that I fully <laughs> processed his name. <laughs> yeah, it all together. He doesn't yeah. say it very often. All no, we never, and there there has never been a point in the entirety of the show where we have used the word shit, S-H-I-T. Mm-hmm. Mainly because the word, the town itself was the joke. And a lot of, I think in the beginning when, when our first season came out, a lot of people were sort of destabilized by the, mm-hmm. I guess, the shock value of the name, which is More a than legitimate, you expected? I think on par with what we expected, but at the same time, it's a legitimate last name. There are Irish, <laughs> of people of Irish descent who, whose last name is Shit, mm-hmm. S-C-H-I-T-T, which is how we got the name put on the air in the first place. Because mm. you can't, I mean, yeah. this is a real thing. I was going to say, like, how did that, how many people did you have to go back to and explain that to? We sort of printed out, <laughs> like, white pages and sent them to our network and basically said... Here's how many people in Canada have this name already. I don't even know if there were people in Canada. <laughs> I think there were just a couple in Ireland. <laughs> but thank they God for exist. those people they because they, we, got to, we got to keep our name. But we kept saying to people off the top of the show, like, <laughs> we are aware of the joke. Everyone in the show is aware of the joke of the name. That's yeah. the whole point. Yeah. It's not a good name yeah. for a reason. Um, and that's a meta thing. Once you start to get into the world, you understand why it's why it is called uh, what it is. Uh, seriously, Johnny, uh, good luck selling the town. You're going to need it. Why is that? Well, it took a while to sell the first time. I mean, uh, it was on the market for like, what, 20 years before you bought it. 20 years? Yeah. I mean, most people just thought it was a waste of money, that it would never sell. You know, who in their right mind would buy it? <laughs> then along come you. Chris is wonderful. Uh, and for us, the town itself, I think in comedies, we so often see small towns um, caricaturized. They're the punchline. Yeah. And it was really important for us uh, going into the creation of the show to make this town the better people than our family, that the joke was going to be these four people who were so out of touch coming to this place and dealing with these people who are lovely, well-intentioned people. Um, obviously, every character has their flaws and, and their sort of, the ways that you can sort of play the humor, but um, it was really intended from day one that this town be someplace special um, that teaches our family something and not playing into the small town yokel caricatures that we see so often. Well, one of the people that helps them be better most of the time um, <laughs> is uh, Stevie, mm. the manager of the hotel, um, played by Emily Hampshire. Mm. Hampshire? Hampshire. Hampshire. Yeah. There we go. Um, <laughs> Hampshire sounds very fancy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm sure she'd accept Hampshire. <laughs> mm. Or we could do this. Hi. Mm. Keep or sell. Well, those are... Keep or sell. Uh, keep, just keep sell. or sell. Sell them. I got these at a showroom in Paris. I got these on a clearance rack at Target. Eight fifty. Eight fifty what? Eight hundred dollars. Eight hundred fifty dollars. These are collectors. There's a woman in Paris that makes them by hand. So. My car's worth less than your pants. How did you find her for this? She auditioned. Yeah, and again, I think things sort of fall into place. In the, it was the first time I've ever. Uh, cast something. I would. It was usually sort of an auditioner and a bad one at that. Uh, and it's quite remarkable when someone walks into the room and just is the character. And it, it's been a lesson for me as an actor because you go into these auditions where you sort of feel like you're, 
it's so, I mean, I'll do the best job I can, but I know this is not for me. It really comes down to who you are coinciding with the kind of dialogue and the character and it really is a, a magical experience when you see that person that walks in and they give their audition and it's just these are this is this person mm -hmm. and thank you for that because you're doing me as a writer a great service now that I know who you are and know who this person looks like and sounds like I can then start writing to the actor and start to tailor the experience and the character in ways that you know I think would be a lot more difficult if we couldn't find the right actor for the part. Yeah, um, one of the other characters we meet in this first episode is Twyla, the mm -hmm. waitress, and it's played by your sister Sarah. Yeah. Um, was it always a plan to have a role for her? Or did it just? Happen? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we never expected the show to get made. I think <laughs> it's really like it's a needle in a haystack to get a television show made. So. Why you know, not make it with all the people you really want? When the came up and my sister is an actor and you, you provide where you can. That's, everyone needs, you know, it's, it's a tough biz. Um, and she lends, she's sort of, her personality is so, I mean, I wrote the part with her in mind because she's just the sweetest, <laughs> most well-intentioned human on this earth and um, plays the part so well. And, you know, for someone like Twyla, who's then up against a character like Ronnie, who's played by the great Karen Robinson, um, you have these really sort of opposing ideas of, of these small town characters, both really strong in what they believe in, mm -hmm. but but different in the approach. And Twyla's the softness, and Ronnie's sort of the harder edge. Yeah. Well, I, the, so we over the next few episodes, we get mm -hmm. to meet all of them. Um, we we meet um, Mutt, um, played by Tim mm -hmm. Rosen. 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 See, you're helping with Rosen all the last names. Sounds great. There you go. Well. Yeah. Um, when he was cast, was that meant to be a recurring character as like a romantic interest for Alexis? Yeah, I think I had always intended for Alexis to, to be, I, it's so easy to write love interests for, I just don't love the idea of having a really strong act, female actor um, being caught up in love stories. Like they have more, I, I think, mm -hmm. and so many of my female friends who are actors and go out for these parts and, you know, it's like strong female but then all she does is talk about this men. Time. Yeah. And what I wanted to do with this character of Alexis was she is someone that was so preoccupied with men in her life and sort of defined herself by the people she was dating that her journey on our show, and particularly in this first season, would be slowly discovering that she wants more and, uh, and going against that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the romance. So Mutt was there almost to be a temptation for her uh, in terms of this is, her, these, these have been her impulses in the past. Here's sort of a handsome, rugged guy from the town. Will she fall back into her old ways or will she be challenged to, to sort of put herself first? Um, and we shall see what happens. Yes, We're there we go. Season one. <laughs> um, so we see them try to sell the town, get to know yeah. the, the rest of the city council, Jocelyn, uh, Roland's wife. Mm -hmm. uh, we see Moyer try to help out teach a drama class. Yeah. All this stuff happens. Uh, but the one moment that I want to get to is in episode six, which is Wine and Roses. Mm -hmm. um, Moyer gets hired to do this commercial. Yeah, uh, and it, for a local winery, fruit wine. Yes, for a fruit wine, <laughs> and she gets plastered basically while filming the commercial. It reminded me very much of like the Vita Vita Vegemin, I Love Lucy yeah. kind of moment. Where did that idea come from? From you, I think when you have Catherine O'Hara on your show, you try everything you can to sort of squeeze the juice out of what she's <laughs> capable of, mm -hmm. and she is so extraordinary, and. 
plays drunk like nobody else <laughs> that we knew we wanted to showcase A, the drunk, and B, her sort of her magic. And action. Hello, I'm Moira Rose, and if you like fruit wine as much as I do, discover a winery that pours care and craftsmanship into every glaze. Oh, I'm sorry. I wanted to say glass, but I was thinking case. In the lee of a picturesque ridge lies a small, unpretentious winery, one that pampers its fruit like its own babies. Hi! I'm Moira Rose, and if you love fruit wine as much as I do, then you'll appreciate the craftsmanship and quality of a local vintner who brings the muskmelon goodness to his oak chardonnay and the dazzling peach crab pull to his Riesling Rioja. Come taste the difference good fruit can make in your wine. You'll remember the experience, and you'll remember the name, Herb Irvling. Bert Herngeifer, Irv Herblinger, Bing Livehanger, Liveling, Bert Herkern, Bingo Lingfucker. And it felt like because this character had come from soaps and because she was sort of an actress who had never really made it, but really sort of prides herself on the fact that she, she thinks she has, um, to be hired by this local winery to do their campaign and then get so scared because it's been so long since she was an actor that she ends up drinking the fruit wine and getting quite drunk by the time she has to go out and film it. Um, we thought that was a very f sort of funny angle to take and uh, and Catherine ran with it in ways that we had never even imagined. <laughs> She's so good. I feel like all of you have had a chance to be drunk on that show. If you were going to make a ranked list of who is the best drunk. Catherine. And then who? <sighs> I'm, has Annie been drunk? I don't know if Annie's been drunk. I've been high. Yes, we're and gonna drunk. talk about that. And drunk. Um, I was watching it's one. It's hard because to me yeah. it's like, when you have Catherine being drunk, nothing else matters. <laughs> and we all just try and keep up. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, being an actor and a showrunner, my, I'm always aware that you want to challenge your actors, and uh, writing to their strengths has always been something that I've I've been really sort of that's been a huge mandate. Not that it's not for mm -hmm. other shows, but mm -hmm. you know, um, you're, uh, you're you know both sides of the coin. <laughs> but at the same time, I think as a showrunner and and a writer, there are moments where you sort of have to step in and say, okay, I was sort of thinking we go in this direction. Is that something you want to try? <laughs> So it's a level of sort of passive uh, encouragement mm -hmm. uh, that's been that's been really, I think, very nice. It's has worked. It, has it changed how you work with other actors? Is it making more likely to be like that with other being actors? Being an actor too? on the show has made the conversations about the kinds of notes we want from our actors a little bit. I'm able to sort of articulate it mm -hmm. in a way, knowing what the experience is. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is always great when you get a director who's who has had acting experience because, you know, um, it's just a different way of articulating mm -hmm. a note. Um, so yeah, Emily and I have a lot of conversations on set. She's really uh, she really enjoys the that process of saying like, 
do you have any ideas of making this better? And oftentimes, no, I don't. But sometimes it'll say, okay, if we've got it in the can, if we've shot the scene and I feel like we've really you know, got the jokes, I'll say, well, what if you tried it really, really excited? What would that look like? And she'll do a take where it's really, really excited and it'll either work or it won't. We'll use it or we won't. But um, I think at the end of the day, when you're creating something, especially television and film, it's such a collaborative process and we have a very egoless set. There's, n there's nobody running around saying, this is how it has to be. We're all collectively trying to make the best show we can. And if an actor has an, has an idea for their character or a, a, a line that they want to change that's better than what's written, great that looks good for all of us so the fun and the joy of making this show is really that it's it's been a wonderfully collaborative experience and a very safe space for ideas to be shared um, without fear of of sort of egos being bruised well, you waited, I believe, until episode seven to once it was all going to mm. have a writing credit I believe which was um, turkey shoot I think I wrote the first episode. Yes. Yeah, so, but and then, then after seventh, that, and that, then the last, I think. Was that intentional to kind of like devote yourself to the? Uh, other we had a team of writers, and I wanted everyone to be able to write an episode. Um, I think you know I was overseeing the process in the first year. I was learning. I had no experience as a writer, so we had some really great people around me to help guide and steer. Um, and I also, again, to that point, didn't have the experience to do what I'm doing now, which is write like five episodes a season on my own. That I mean, it takes a lot of time. Um, so yeah, Turkey Shoot, I think, was the second episode I, I wrote. Yeah. And was a very fun episode to It shoot. is a very fun episode to watch. Um, this is the one where we see, we meet Ted in the episode previous, mm -hmm. but this is where we see Ted and Alexis meet. Yes. Um, uh, Dustin Milligan, yep. who's fantastic. Just a um, joy so of a person. Again, was he brought in, uh, slight spoiler, to be somebody that would be yes. a long-term? Yeah, I think he, rep Mutt and Ted, to <laughs> me, represented her past and her future. Um, neither of, w well, they both are sort of in play, um, and it was the choice of the nice guy or the guys that she had dated in the past, and presenting them both to her in our first season, uh, both of which, you know, for her character, weren't necessarily the best choice at that time, because I think that character has so much to learn for herself, which has been so, again, so fun to play, and I think Annie is such a extraordinary actor and can uh, had, and played the struggle of like do I go back to these boys or do I examine what I need to change and fix and and love about myself and first so they they basically were there playing the angel and the devil um, for her in terms of just temptation and uh, and they couldn't have been they were lovely and you know I, I love both of those guys dearly so I'm gonna fast forward a little bit we have some fun uh, some singing at a eulogy uh, <laughs> any boy I'm here to talk about the misery of our lives here and how we might never escape this place and how we do not want to end up in a coffin like Carl here in this godforsaken oh Danny boy the pipes, the pipes are calling 
the blooper of that where the camera just stayed on Catherine. There's a there's a take where the camera just stayed and she <laughs> sang that entire song to the point where she started going into like, are you really going to keep doing this? Can I stop soon? And my dad is eating an egg salad sandwich while she's singing and it's this singular shot of Catherine singing and my dad sort of knowing that the song is a strange choice and her interpretation of singing this song is so strange and yet he's oddly preoccupied with this egg salad it was a, I mean it's moments like that where you look at the two of them and even as I mean he's my dad but and sometimes I forget just what the magic they have together um, that was definitely one of those moments where I was like these two are just just gems I love it. Um, in this season, we also get to explore David's sexuality, yeah. um, which I know is something that was really important to you to kind of get to do. Yeah. Um, David is pansexual, mm-hmm. and we learn that after he and Stevie <laughs> sleep together, and then yes. she realizes that he's also interested in, as she puts it, red wine. Yes. I only drink red wine. Okay. And up until last night, I was under the impression that you too only drank red wine but I guess I was wrong I see where you're going with this um I do drink red wine but I also drink white wine and I've been known to sample the occasional rosé and a couple summers back I tried a merlot that used to be a chardonnay which got complicated okay yeah so you're just really open to all wines I like the wine and not the label does that make sense where did that metaphor come from? Talk, talk to us about the decision to make the character pansexual. And- I always knew he was going to be pansexual and I and have, you know, and be a very sort of sexually open and, and, uh, and fluid person and be very sort of confident in his life. Um, and playing David as the kind of... It's, it's interesting because I knew that people would be asking questions because we never addressed his sexuality and then we had him sleep with a woman. And at the time, we got a lot of feedback from people saying like, oh, I thought he was gay, I thought he was gay, I thought he was gay. And that was all deliberate because to me it was playing on preconceptions and the way that we sort of judge people and how sexuality is such an open conversation to have. Um, so t- the reveal after that to then discuss pansexuality, which I had not really seen on TV before, um, was really, uh, was a great episode to write, exploring how we were gonna articulate that in a way that felt very casual. I never wanted sexuality on the show to feel like a heavy lesson that was being learned because that's, I just don't have any interest in that. I don't feel like, I think we need to be presenting people as they are, no questions asked. I think to this day I still um, get lovely letters from people who, a lot. I mean, one kid came up to me on the street a couple months ago and said I used that analogy to explain my sexuality to my family. And that's, I mean, if, you can't get better than that mm-hmm. in terms of just, but it also for me was an, uh, I was able to understand just how important and meaningful television as a medium is. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us might not intellectualize what TV does, but it is a 
piece of technology in our homes where we are most vulnerable. We're watching television. Our guard is not up. We're not leaving the house with like putting on our armor that we have to do every day to just, you know, walk out into the streets. We are open and susceptible to love. So to be telling stories uh, that mean something personally to me and my experience and, and sort of put them out there with no questions asked unapologetically um, was a very conscious choice. And, uh, and to receive feedback like that was, uh, to continue to receive it is, is, is extraordinary and very uh, important to me. And you yourself don't identify as pansexual, but... No, I'm a gay man. Yes. Yeah. So to take it that extra step, I thought was really special to, to kind of... Because it is a concept mm -hmm. that a lot of people really... Like, people nowadays get what gay is, and mm -hmm. even... Like all the intricacies now, yeah. more so. But the show, I think, was a big step in that. Well, anything to be part of a conversation, I think, is uh, is you know we're we're thrilled to be in that in that conversation. Yeah. So this basically gets us to the finale. Yeah. Um, which uh, he's it just something up. Johnny's found a buyer for the town. Yeah. Um, he thinks they're all going to get out there. We're getting out. <laughs> we're finally getting out. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I made it! <laughs> <laughs> you wrote this one, so I'm gonna let you take the lead. Give us give us a I think this is sort of a culmination of what what the hopes and dreams of this family were when they got to the town, which is this is gonna be a really quick fix. We're gonna mm. turn the town around, we're gonna get rid of it, and we're gonna get the heck out of Dodge. And there's a person that comes in to potentially buy the town and Mike, everyone sort of gets prepared for the inevitability of like getting back to our lives, mm -hmm. and it doesn't work out the way they want. Uh, you know, the the buyer. There's some something quite tragic happens to the buyer, <laughs> and and they're stuck. And each of our characters react to that in very different ways. Uh, none of them good. Uh, and it sees the family sort of crumbling under the realization that this experience might not be quite as temporary as they thought. And I think for my character who was having a really hard time adjusting over the season and who never let people into his life and who had constructed his persona based on things he could buy, whether it was clothes or friends or galleries, um, I think for him it really hit really hard and, uh, and he <laughs> leaves town, steals a car and, uh, and leaves town. And that's sort of the cliffhanger of our season. The deal fell through, honey. So when are we leaving? We're not leaving, Alexis. We didn't sell. We're not leaving. Oh. Are you going to be all right? I'm pretty sure I'm engaged. And I'm pretty sure I just cheated on my fiance. She'll be okay. Where's your brother? Who? David. When you shot that, did you know if you were coming back for a second season? No. So that could have been it. It could have, that been, could have been where everything ended. But you sort of think like, let's go balls to the wall on this and, and you know, leave people wanting to come back. Uh, especially if you know that you're not going to do everything you can to try and get a second season. Did you shoot all of season one before it aired? Or yeah. had some, so it was like, you really had no idea what we the action no was going to be, whether people... We had no would. idea. I knew that there was really, there was something in the alchemy of the show that felt really special. Mm -hmm. I knew that the experience was really meaningful and that we all had a lot of fun. And I remember wrapping 
our last day of season one and just bursting into tears because it had been something that I had loved so dearly for so long. It had taken us a year to set up and then a year essentially to, 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 to write and then shoot. Um, the thought of not getting to see these people and, and doing it all again was so heartbreaking for me. Fortunately, <laughs> we, had some, alert. we had some one way ahead of us. Well, and giving us more to talk about in future episodes. Absolutely. But, so that is season one of Shit's Creek. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad you're here. Hopefully, We've been looking forward to this Hopefully that so was long. comprehensive enough. It was, we, I mean, I think what we learned as we were going through this is we could have spent 10 hours talking about season one, let alone right. the rest of them. It wasn't, you know, going to be quite that. Short and sweet is good, Short though. and sweet. Unless, of course, these people are listening on a long road trip, in which case, like, like I am. They're like, yeah. I need to get to Interstate 90. Like, <laughs> give, me, give me 25 more minutes. Again. I have somewhere to be. Just listen again. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to EW's Binge. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. And thank you, us. listeners. <laughs> thank you. Um, definitely check out EW.com for video of our interview with Dan. And make sure to subscribe and rate our podcast and comment. Uh, share your favorite seasons, uh, moments, all of that. All of that. Keep it going. You can follow me on Twitter at Shana Naomi. And I'm at Patrick Gomez LA. Dan. And where can they follow you? Uh, is this on Twitter? Yes. Uh, I think it's at Dan J. Levy. You don't seem sure about that. For a second, I was not you sure. To be perfectly instead? honest, I've only had Twitter for so, 15 years. So if there's, Dan, if there's a Dan J. Levy and it's not Dan you. Dan J. Levy, not Dan Levy, who is another writer, um, yes. different pronunciations of our last name, and I always get his tweets and he always gets mine. So there's a J in between the Dan and the Levy. There we go. Make sure to find the J. People right. are like, I don't care. Um, definitely come back to hear season more about season two. We're going to talk all about that. Um, and thanks for listening. Yeah. We'll be back. Thanks, everybody. I had um, a very embarrassing moment at our Upfronts party where I got super confused because I was talking to Adam Pally and he was so excited about how his show with Dan Levy just got picked up. Right. And I was like, what a pivot this is going to be for... Everyone. Da- and I, I just like had half a moment and I like, luckily, I just okay. didn't... I was like, congratulations, that's how There's a lot of people great. coming up to me being like, like I didn't Thresher, know you were getting into show. network television. And I'm, like, I'm not. Yeah. But I'm glad he is. <laughs> yeah, you know. Listen, we're representing Dan Levy Levy's Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Now we yeah. just need you guys working on something together. And Our collective success is all that really matters.